are you and why are you here? Are we gonna live life in fear or are we gonna stand up and make sure we're heard? Are we gonna hide or live life by our word? With integrity we can be all that we can see in our mind's eye until we're finally free. We can become whatever we choose once we know the choice lies within me and you. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Unapologetically Human podcast with Dan Boyvin. Thank you so much for being here. This is a podcast about trying to understand myself, each other, and this crazy modern world that we live in, as I like to say, if you've uh, been around here before. But uh, also something you may have heard me talk about quite a number of times, which doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. Um, this, this episode has taken me a little bit longer, a lot longer, to release than uh, I told my guest, or I would have liked to, uh, myself, um, there's a there's a number of reasons for that. I've talked about different uh, resistances I have. Uh, you know, my somewhat typical typical challenges with time management and just prioritizing what I do with my time can be challenging. Especially, I've been going through a breakup the last few months that has been. Uh, quite challenging and I, I haven't exactly been dealing with it in the uh, in the best ways that I could and so I've been you could say focused on avoiding my feelings more than uh, getting my work done on certain things but uh, there there was one other thing that sort of came up um, when I was editing this episode and writing notes for creating the show notes, I had this sense that I didn't have a very good segue or a clear explanation of a major part of the conversation when I wanted to ask Andre about this story that he, he had sort of told me a little bit about, but it's part of the reason I had him on the podcast was to tell the, the full story of how he essentially was hunted down and canceled by, by some stranger on the internet who didn't like something that he wrote and then tried to find out who he was and where he worked and get him fired and yada, 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 all that fun stuff that's happening in our culture right now. So I guess a, a little bit of the resistance to really getting this episode up has been uh, a bit of regular procrastination, some other circumstances like the ending of a relationship and dealing with that, regular resistance, um, something that I've been really wanting to do for a long time is to you know, get some support 
for the amount of time and effort that I am putting into making this podcast as I have a normal full-time job and I'm trying to, you know, create this on the side and it can be, it can be challenging to feel like there's, um, a lot of one-sided work going in and, and not seeing a lot of, of results. But that being said, I did finally publish my Patreon page. So I'll put a, I've put a link in the show notes for that. And if you appreciate what I've been doing with the show, finding some value from what I've been creating, then it would be amazing. I'd be super grateful if you'd consider becoming a patron. That'll really help me get some validation that what I'm doing matters and that there are people out there that want to support what I'm doing here. And you can also support the show by liking and sharing and commenting, um, giving a review on Apple, all that good stuff. But uh, yeah. Here's a conversation with uh, another budding friendship with my friend Andre, and we basically we basically start off with him giving a little bit of his educational and work background. He tells the story of how he was hunted down and canceled. We talk about the uh, couple articles that he wrote, including a lot of what's going on with the identity politics and a lot of the ideological groupthink and controversies that are happening in our culture right now, how we're going to overcome it, how we can talk to each other better, especially when we disagree with people, and what this means for the state of our society currently and going forward. So without further ado, Here's a conversation about the challenging and transformational times that we find ourselves in. Hope you enjoy. All right. Well, we can kind of uh, just get right into it. Um, yeah, I just want to say thanks so much for meeting me. Uh, it's been really interesting getting to know each other online the past couple of years now. It's been a... and. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I don't uh, I don't really have any notes to go off or anything. I took a few screenshots of a couple parts of your article, but um, I think, yeah, like, why don't you just kind of tell me a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background. You also had mentioned that you're Russian, right? That's right. So I imagine maybe at some point um, a bit later on, we might kind of touch upon what's happening with the the war with Russia and Ukraine and some of the uh, different dynamics of how that kind of relates to some of this stuff that we're seeing with kind of the cancel culture and the ideological identity politics and stuff like that. Um, But yeah, so tell me a little bit about yourself. And then I think um, a lot of time... Oh, excuse me. Order for Austin? No. This is... Not us. No. No. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> That's so awesome. This is actually this is actually really funny anyway because uh, <laughs> this is I I always put bloopers at the end of every yeah, episode. Yeah. I love putting bloopers and so 
the the podcast is called unapologetically human and yeah. what i like to say like when i when i first started it i i had like a list of 15 things like relationships mental health addiction a lot of family history with that type of stuff personal history politics social issues tech science philosophy art wisdom psychedelics kind of this like all-encompassing thing and people mm-hmm. are like so what the fuck is this about and what I like to say is it's it's certainly in a way it's about me and it's about trying to explain how I see the world and it's my journey mm-hmm. trying to understand myself, understand other people and understand this crazy world that we live in, particularly yeah. in the in the context of what does it mean to be a human in the modern world when we've seen so much crazy technological advancement and scientific advancement. Human as opposed to a consumer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And how can we understand the world, which obviously many of us are having a very, very hard time doing, right? Absolutely. But, um, and also just unapologetically human is also about like showing the messy parts. So that's part of the fun. And also just trying to, trying to talk about serious things and understand things in a serious way while also having some levity and whatnot too. But uh, yeah, so tell me a little bit about yourself. And then I want to, a lot of times I look at this um, sort of project for myself as being conversations rather than interviews. Like I like to talk to you, not just ask questions, mm-hmm. but based on the time we have and those articles that you read, I really want to kind of give you the floor to speak about kind of like what made you write them, the first one in particular, and then the story of kind of like, what were you doing at the time? What happened? Because you had mentioned you got fired from a, a couple different places. Yeah. 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 Okay, so yeah. And I, I kind of want to give you the floor because uh, the articles are really well written. I'll obviously oh, thank you. share them in the show notes. And uh, yeah, tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, Dan, it's a pleasure to finally meet you, first of all. And thank you for inviting me here. Um, uh, to tell you a little story, brief story of my life so far, um, you know, I'm an immigrant kid, came to Canada 20 years ago from Russia. Um, so, you know, I went to high school here, then I went to U of T, I studied uh, political science. Um, and, uh, you know, and then I got into the corporate world. Uh, Fun. <laughs> you know, um, the first real job was very interesting uh, because I was given considerable responsibility from day one, mm. and um, I had n- I had zero expectations. First of all, I was confused after graduating. I was like, "Well, what am I going to do now?" And this first job was uh, um, eye-opening in many ways. Um, you know, I worked in um, HR and payroll, mm-hmm. uh, so I was kind of in between. Um, I worked for a mining company, uh, Vale. It's a Brazilian mining company. They acquired Inco, um, I think, a couple of years prior to me joining them. And uh, all the miners up north in Sudbury, they had just come back from a year-long strike. And so wow. it was, yeah. So a long strike. Oh yeah, fully paid by the company, by the way. Wow. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was my job to interact with them on a day-to-day basis because Inco they um, they were under investing in IT, 
So they were still using an MS-DOS-based system. As you can imagine, plenty of errors and people pissed up north, you know, you know. Uh, anyway, it was very interesting to observe human behavior, um, observe how people, some people didn't get along with each other in, in payroll, and I was thinking, like, you guys are adults, and yet <laughs> some of you hate each other and, and don't get along. Um, and it was fascinating for me to observe mm-hmm. human behavior. Another interesting observation for me was um, kind of early on uh, in my life as to like why why like why are people unhappy with their jobs? Mm-hmm. I remember sitting across from this guy. He was probably in his fifties, I imagine, uh, a senior IT person. And uh, I was sitting across from him every single day, and I was thinking, why are you here? Like, why is that person sitting there working? He's probably getting paid good money Mm -hmm. because he's managing complex projects around the world. But I kept asking myself, like, do I see myself being his age, sitting there at a desk managing some whatever, IT project in Singapore or whatever. And I was like, I was terrified. Because the answer was yeah. definitely like, no. Please, dear Lord, no. Please, de- <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Um, I, so that thought really scared me. Because I realized that that individual probably doesn't want to be there. But for whatever you know reason and due to life circumstances, you know, that's the job he has. I wasn't sure if he was enjoying that job. Mm-hmm. And I definitely didn't see myself enjoying that kind of job. Yeah. And um, I had a good manager. That's one, one thing that's really important, I think, in any workplace, is having a, For sure. uh, a good person who trusts you, um, who isn't afraid to give you responsibility. And I, I had a pretty big responsibility mm-hmm. because most of those phone calls you know, they they were not, you know, oh, thank you for doing a great job. No, they were angry. They were like, why did, I didn't get paid last week for whatever, you know, five hours, overtime hours or whatever. And um, that's where I learned communication skills and how to interact with people, mm-hmm. how to uh, work within uh, an environment where adults don't necessarily get along. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, I... I left that job after being offered a full-time job <laughs> with a with like good pay and everything. I said, "Look, guys, I I I'm not interested in HR like at all at all." So I appreciate the offer, but you know, bye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See you later. Uh, thanks for the offer. Yeah, no thanks. So that was my introduction to the 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 corporate world. Um, and, and then afterwards, I, I was like, okay, what's next? And for some reason, I brainwashed myself into thinking that, you know, it's got to be Bay Street. I got to work on Bay Street. You right. Know, I got to rub shoulders or elbows with um, <laughs> CEOs and CFOs uh, of major corporations. And... Uh, you know, eventually I did end up getting a job on Bay Street. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. 
uh, at the Royal Bank of Canada. Um, but it turned out to be very different from my expectations, like <laughs> like the opposite of my expectations. But I'm very grateful for that experience. So, what were your expectations, and how were how did it you know? Uh, I don't know. A good good salary, you know, the ability to travel and uh, you know being exposed to the world of investments and. Um, I could have maybe ended up climbing that corporate ladder, Um, but my experience was the opposite of, you know, what I had in mind. Um, It was more of an admin job, Mm -hmm. and uh, there wasn't a whole lot of training provided. Uh, My manager, I don't think she liked me, I'll be honest with you. (laughs) I detested her micromanagement of me. Um, and with uh, no proper training, um, my job my job kept getting progressively more difficult because the nature of tasks that I was given uh, was getting more complicated. I was working with like multi million dollar loans that I had to process. So essentially, my job was to make sure that you know whatever Caterpillar, Coca Cola gets their share of say a 20 or 30 million dollar loan that RBC was responsible for and um, uh, eventually I I I ended up making a mistake Um, I like I closed a loan that wasn't Uh supposed to be closed and um, uh, my manager was like you know come with me Um, so we ended up in a room just like this we sat down and then she she told me it was it was December twenty um, sixth, uh, I think. There were uh, uh, two more weeks until New Year's, and uh, she told me, "Look, um, you are the worst thing that has happened to this department. Um, please don't come to work. Like you're you're fired. Please don't come to work for the next two weeks." So she let you down easy. <laughs> Stay home. We'll pay you for the you know for uh, the remaining two weeks. Just don't come to work, um, and uh, like you're done. Like you know, uh, <laughs> you can leave now. Pack your stuff and leave. Um, and uh, that was uh, that was a wake up call in, in in many ways. It was um, mm, well. I, I forgot to say that a lot of the people who I was working with, they. They seemed different from me. They were not um, as extroverted as I am. They they seemed uh, okay with this monotonous job, mm-hmm. and it was very monotonous. You look like a a robot. You know, you go grab, you know, a fax from some uh, corporate bank in New York. You come back. You process the loan in like f- three or four different systems. Um, it was a very boring job. <laughs> that you like, weren't really trained Nothing. In. <laughs> nothing. I, I had a good chair, though. I had a Herman Miller Aeron chair. Oh, okay. That. <laughs> so there was, it wasn't all shit. <laughs> you know, yeah. Pro, pros and cons, you know. <laughs> Got to keep, you know, a good perspective. So, um, yeah, it was, in many ways, it was a wake-up call for me to, um, like, I started asking myself all these questions, like, what's important in my life? 
what do I want to do? Why did I end up in that situation and how? Mm-hmm. What did I learn from that situation? Because even though my manager might not have liked me and I didn't like the job, there was a valuable lesson in that experience that I picked for myself. And that's a whole different topic. (laughs) And I know that I picked that experience for myself to realize things about my personality and about myself and what's important to me in this lifetime. Um, So I think that experience prompted me to explore entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in uh, 2012, shortly after leaving RBC, um, I co-founded a tech startup uh, with business partners of mine, and we and it was a roller coaster um, in in many ways. Uh, it was stressful and exciting. Um, we we were part of the digital media zone uh, incubator for around two years. And oh, at Ryerson? Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, TMU. Yeah. <laughs> well, at the time it was Ryerson. I still call it Ryerson. Yeah, um, well, it's like the it's, Skydome. Yeah, yeah. The amphitheater. I, I, yeah, I still call it Skydome after all those years. Because it will forever it's, be Skydome. Exactly. <laughs> um, so it was an exciting journey. Um, I was able to connect with so many cool entrepreneurs and and learn how to work with developers, something I've, I've never done before. Mm-hmm. Um, once we raised some money, we were able to hire developers and I was able to learn new skills like web design. So I, I designed all of our um, products. Um, so I learned UX design, UI design, product management, project management, things like that. Um, and it was... Um, an exciting journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I was a co-founder for around four years, between 2012 and 2016. Um, I left that company um, uh, at the end of 2016, and in 2017 I decided to pursue e-commerce. So I uh, launched my own, um, well, brand uh, on Shopify, mm, I had my own store um, for uh, you know a couple of years. And then, uh, because I was doing drop shipping, yeah. which means um, you don't own any inventory. Yeah. When somebody places an order, um, you in turn place an order with your supplier. And my suppliers were in China. So yeah. it took a long time to ship products. Um, I was not in control of packaging, customer experience, nothing really. Yeah, And it, it, it prompted me to... Uh, explore a different business venture whereby I was in control of those things. And so that's when, uh, that's when I started looking into Amazon and uh, decided to pursue you know, uh, a new e-commerce venture on Amazon, uh, which involved buying a lot of expensive inventory um, in, in China, uh, doing a lot of research into different uh, products and categories. Um, and uh, I can tell you Amazon is a very competitive marketplace. Yeah. Um, I decided to do business on .com as opposed to .ca because that's where the demand is. Mm-hmm. Um, and in many ways, it was um, an exciting journey. I learned a lot along the way about uh, uh, building a brand on Amazon, running ads on Amazon, 
um, delighting my customers with great you know uh, customer service um, and so I, I was doing that for a couple of years um, until um, Clearco contacted me. Okay. Um, yeah. uh, it's a company run by Michelle Romano and Andrew D'Souza. Yeah. Um, I uh, I was headhunted. You know, I was contacted by a recruiter. She told me about this opportunity to be a coach. Um, and uh, I was like, awesome. You know, when do I start? Um, so I, I joined Clerico last year, and um, I was responsible for coaching close to 140 e-commerce founders. Wow. Um, mainly in the United States, I would say 80% US-based, 15% uh, Canada-based, and then 5% UK-based. Um, gave me exposure to all sorts of entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Um, Working on really cool, you know, products. Everything from, you know, scented candles to clothes to um, skincare products. Just like across the entire spectrum of, yeah. of, of products. Um, I met some really cool people. I had a great team. I had a great manager. Like, fantastic manager. Um, I learned a lot from him. I can tell you that. And I really enjoyed working with him. Um, he, I, I was able to observe him and learn some of the skills that I probably don't have, um, but now I'd like to think that I do. Uh, <laughs> what uh, kind of skills? Um, uh, hmm. I would say that he is good at listening people, listening to people, working with people. Um, protecting the interests of individuals on his team. Um, he's incredibly diplomatic, mm. uh, like to the point of being pedantic. <laughs> um, and he's just a, you know, a, a genuinely good person um, who's emotional IQ, if you happen to subscribe to mm-hmm. it and believe in that sort of stuff, I would say it's pretty high. Like I'm more... Yeah, yeah. I think it's emotional, impatient. Definitely, I, I think. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't have the patience uh, for some of the things, you know, uh, you know. Uh, but I learned to be patient from from him. I, mm. I learned to be able to listen to people, and uh, you know, sometimes take a step back. Um, and so I, I, I learned a lot uh, on that job. I enjoyed working with every single person there. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, you know, due to the economic situation, uh, Clearco they laid off about twenty five percent of their staff. Really? Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they uh, they sold their overseas division to a different company and decided to focus on the North American market. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm not long- surprising. <laughs> it's been a rough couple of years. It's that's right. That's right. Yeah. So unfortunately, I'm no longer with Clearco. Um, but I'm sure something uh, something else will come my way. You know, when let's say when one door closes, another door opens. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm in the transition phase at the moment. Okay, so let's let's back up a bit because you said that when you joined Clearco was last year. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, tell me about what you were up to and and where you're at. And thanks for sharing all that. It's a good. Um, 
sort of primer that you've had a lot of different types of experiences with a lot of different types of people and you've been able to experience a lot of different types of responsibility and it's interesting um, I think you know the vast majority of people and this has been my experience largely are you know just being a worker at a place not having their own experience going through an entrepreneurial journey I have had that luckily myself as well I've done some entrepreneur courses and whatnot. Tried starting a, a clothing brand with a buddy of mine a few years ago. Uh, my longest, like, best friend ended up, our, our visions started going in different ways. We started fighting a lot. It almost destroyed our friendship, so I walked away from it. But, um, yeah, tell me a little bit about what you were up to in 2020, kind of, like, you know, you were you were coaching through the entrepreneur um what was it like an incubator kind of in 2020 yeah so tell me what you're up to before what happened with George Floyd's murder and then you subsequently wrote that article and you had mentioned that you got fired let's kind of go into that stuff a little oh bit. yeah yeah sure um so at the time um I uh had my own e-commerce business mm. um and then the events of uh 2020 happened um so what so why did I write that article? Um, I was following events on social media. I was reading the news and um, actually, you know, I'm, hold, hold on a sec. I just want to actually oh get my I have just like a couple little yeah. stats here. So um, George Floyd was murdered yeah. May 25th, 2020 was the date. Mm -hmm. And then you had wrote this article, Evidence-Based Examination of Systemic Police Bias in the United States on July 6, 2020. So it was, what, about a month and a half-ish after, after that happened. And I, I read this article and I, I actually was thinking of either recording it myself I always do an intro before kind of popping into the conversation so I'll do that after I thought about maybe I'll just read the whole article because I thought about reading like some of the key stats but I found myself highlighting almost the entire article because it's very objective it's very stats heavy and these are statistics that are coming from what was it like the Washington Post database of police shooting data in the United States stats that are being pulled directly from the FBI statistics off their website all sorts of yeah. stuff and yeah so so what prompted you to to write this article um i didn't believe and i still don't that police in the united states in 2020 and 2021 are racist mm -hmm. that that claim seemed preposterous to me um, but I needed evidence. Mm -hmm. I needed hard data to, to be able to articulate an argument that was based on facts, objective mm -hmm. facts. And um, I, I set out to um, research this topic uh, because it just seemed mm, the, the rhetoric being used just didn't make sense to me you know like mm -hmm. so something didn't seem right um 
and I uh, I'm not you know I haven't written any such article prior to that. Right. If you like, if you look at my articles, I wrote about like in uh, back in whatever twenty. 15 I wrote about some marketing stuff. Yeah, I've never written about any well Okay, aside from all the essays that I wrote at U of T in my <laughs> poli sci classes. Yeah um, I, I've never written anything like this before so you know it took me a couple of days to research the, the data to put all, put it all together to analyze it um, create a coherent flow and um, it's tragic what happened. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not going to deny. It. It's absolutely tragic that that particular individual died as a result of actions of specific police officers mm -hmm. who are now in jail for their actions. But I don't buy the premise that police officers in the United States are all racist. And so the data clearly shows why African-American um, citizens are over-policed. Because unfortunately, I'm not going to say 13% because it's not 13%, and I explain why. Normally, people would say 13% of uh, Americans are responsible for about 52 to 53% of homicides. That number is not true because it is um, not fair to African Americans who are not responsible for crime. If you look at the statistics, the elderly folks have nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. Kids have nothing to do with it. Of course. Females, for the most part, are not involved. No, it's young men. It's young men between, I would say, 18 and 40. Yeah. They account for three, roughly speaking, 3% of the population. Mm -hmm. Okay? So when you have 3% of the population being responsible for 52 to 53% of homicides nationwide, mm -hmm. well, what, what questions can you have about this? Of course, uh, you're going to have over-policing in those neighborhoods because of disproportionate representation of young black males when it comes to the perpetrators of homicides. Mm -hmm. And I can, I can tell you that uh, a lot of folks living in those predominantly black communities, they want and expect police presence mm -hmm. because they want to feel safe from individuals who engage in crime. That sort of narrative, objective, fact-based narrative was nowhere to be found at the time. Uh, and that's what upset me because I I believe in um, objective truth and this is a difficult topic but it involves people's lives especially those who who've lost you know their sons 
those moms are devastated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think one of the one of the biggest challenges with this whole conversation is that kind of like the the trajectory of events was that it's like, you know, over the past several years leading up to the murder of George Floyd, there were these high profile killings of black people unarmed in some cases or in many of the the big cases that really were um, featured so prominently in the media over the, the course of the last several years that there has been a growing perception of indisputable evidence that police in America in particular, but the narrative goes everywhere else, essentially the same, are killing unarmed black citizens at a alarming rate and an alarming rate and at a rate that is greater than the police killing unarmed white citizens or citizens of any other other racial category and so the death of george floyd happened and it was just the video of that like i saw that video i'm sure you saw that video so many people saw this video of these four cops one in particular derek chauvin kneeling on George Floyd's whole body, his back, three of them on his back, one of them on his neck for almost nine minutes, and then the guy dies. Mm-hmm. And there was what was then called the racial uprising. And this also was on the, you know, back of an already extremely stressed out population who everyone in this whole generation experiencing a pandemic for the first time and all of the insanity that has come along with that which has only borne out (laughs) to become more (laughs) insane over the last couple years but then there is this racial uprising and there's this narrative that really took hold from black lives matter and was really pushed by the media but what you were wanting to highlight was that something didn't seem right that in 2022 that these killings even if the data were to support them were motivated by racism basically and so when you went digging for the stats you actually were able to find the stats that actually the statistics don't yeah support that narrative and i i was really interested when i read your article because i thought it was really well done and i was i was really impressed by the focus on the stats being the backbone of the sort of objective take of like what's the actual statistics say and i i'm going to share this i'll share the your articles in the show notes but also i listened to i think we might have talked about it in the past but i don't know if you've listen to this episode as well but sam harris who's a neuroscientist he's obviously a very intelligent individual i listened to i think it was like an hour and a half to like a two two and a half hour podcast i i think called can we pull back from the brink and this was around that time as well and he went through an extremely thorough picking apart of that narrative based on what the statistics actually say as well and it's just interesting because the environment that we found ourselves in then and we continue to increasingly find ourselves in is an environment that 
you know, we're emotional creatures and people tend to seek out information to support their own biases, to support the beliefs that they already have. And they tend to disregard any information, regardless of where it comes from, regardless of how factual it may or may not be. If it doesn't support that, especially once we're tribalized into being on so-called sides of, you know, a narrative or a contentious issue. And then it's like, well, you, you know, there's this uh, kind of like dichotomy of people that focus on the facts and they're like, the facts don't fucking care about your feelings. But then the way people tend to actually operate, which we're able to see because there's been so many different controversies with the pandemic, the vaccines, the unvaccinated, the, you know, narrative of white supremacy and racism and misogyny attacks on men and masculinity in general, as if all masculinity is toxic masculinity and any exercise of trying to kind of like create something in your life is taken as a attempt to exercise power and oppression over other people and there's just so much controversy in the last few years that we're seeing that especially once people are tribalized and they're on a team they don't they don't care about facts we like and, and that's just even if we're not you know the people in the middle often as well are like we we tend to hear something and kind of go with our gut feeling or our intuition about whether or not that is true which you also were saying that you had but then you actually took that next step that most people don't and tried to actually go and see is there data to either verify or um to disprove these claims right yeah. and so you did that yeah and i realized that the those claims were absolutely bogus they were not based on facts at all. Mm-hmm. They were probably based on feelings. Um, I was watching uh, this, uh, and it's anecdotal evidence, of course, I understand, but I was watching this video uh, on YouTube, and they were asking people, like, how many black Americans do you think police officers kill? Unarmed black Americans do you think police officers kill every year in, in the United States? People were giving outrageous numbers, like... Yeah, like thousands. Yeah. Tens like, of thousands. Yeah, like 2,000. 1,000. It was like... Where do you where are you getting these numbers from? Is it all perception based on the content that you consume every day on social mm-hmm. media? Because there's no other way to explain it. If you look at the numbers, we're talking like you know, like Well, wasn't it like two thousand nine? It was like not nine the number was fourteen or yeah. something. Yeah. Whereas the number for unarmed white citizens that were killed by police was like twenty five. Now, by the way, the definition of unarmed includes a person sitting in his car with the gun next to him on the passenger side. I think that falls under the de- definition yeah, yeah, of unarmed. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Right? So when you're talking about the United States in particular, it's a different world altogether because every time a police officer pulls over anybody, they have to assume that that individual is armed. And that's what a lot of people, especially in Canada, don't don't understand, is that this potential threat is there at all times. Because anybody mm-hmm. you pull over in America can be armed. Anybody. So you never know. 
that's why you know they have to keep their finger on the trigger yeah you know um or just be ready for anything yeah. like their threat perception level is extremely high because it has to be it's the same as it's it's an evolutionary um development with human psychology in general is that all of us are descendant from ancestors who thought when the grass rustled or a stick broke that it wasn't a it wasn't just the wind or it wasn't a harmless other animal or another ape walking through the forest it's always a tiger and that's how you survive because the ones that didn't think like that and act like that are the ones that got eaten by the tigers yeah (laughs) basically so it's like the evolutionary history of our species is to assume that it's the worst case scenario so that you can be prepared for it basically and so the same goes for for police like most people don't understand how dangerous police like jobs actually are or can be and can turn into at you know a split second Mm -hmm. oh i've seen plenty of those videos on youtube where uh seemingly harmless incidents turn violent in one second Mm-hmm. And and that's when police officers die in the line of duty, and it's tragic. And every year, I think around fifty, at least fifty, police officers die in America, mm-hmm. which is increasing. Like I which, just read something the other day that, and this is also um, part of what we're going to get into talking more about about how these ideas and these narratives are incredibly dangerous for our society, and they're sending us further into a chaotic environment where people don't trust each other and where people are more prone to violence which these these stories and these narratives are actually adding to they're actually increasing and i just read something the other day about how um i I think in america especially but there are some some recent killings of cops where they have been intentionally lured into a situation and ambushed with the sole purpose of luring them there to kill them and it's it's incredibly messed up because it's like it's this indiscriminate killing of human beings that have nothing to do with anything that these people are choosing to kill these innocent cops for unless of course you know you believe some of the narratives that have come along with the racial uprising and these these narratives being pushed in the media and this idea of like a cab like all cap all cops are bastards every single one of them and i guess something i'm i'm interested to hear your thoughts on as well because we don't have to get too into the statistics i think i i i might still go into a little bit more of the statistics for for clarity on that when I sort of intro the interview, but, um, oh, I just lost it. That happens sometimes. That's okay though. Um, I guess, no, what I, what I was getting at is, you know, obviously a lot of the, a lot of what, what comes along with the narrative there, there is a lot of truth to a lot of almost like every contentious issue on both sides there's always a lot of truth or there's always at least a kernel of very important truths that are coming alongside a lot of the what might be classified as mis or disinformation or just a general misunderstanding of 
the the facts of the reality and of course the reason that black and racialized communities in America have higher levels of violence and are over policed and so they see these incidents of police violence of of which you know which you pointed out in the article it's not just about the killing of unarmed or armed uh you know, criminals, whatever their their race race might be, but also that the statistics do actually bear out that the black community and racialized communities do actually see an increase compared to white uh, white people with interactions with the police, and that may turn into some type of violence that isn't lethal. Um, and that the the history of America and slavery and segregation and redlining communities and not giving them access to bank loans and good education because the education, uh, the, the schools are often uh, funded by taxpayer or by homeowner taxes and that there are these like systems of oppression and injustice and stuff. So it's like, all of that stuff comes along with the the conversation as well, of course. But um, yeah, let's not get too deep into the statistics because what happened to you though was that, okay, so you decided to investigate it. You decided to write this article to say sort of like, hey, like this is what the actual statistics say about this specific thing that is being claimed that actually isn't true. Mm. And, And so, what were you doing at the time with because uh, you were volunteering yeah. for um, what was it and you had mentioned that because you wrote this article you were then fired well let me let me or, clarify yeah, yeah. Um, so at the time I was uh, volunteering for two um, organizations one uh, one was uh, Futurepreneur Canada mm-hmm. the other one was the hub mm-hmm. at UTSC um, it's um, it's an incubator for um, startups, and uh, um, it all started with a comment on Instagram. Um, um, I made a comment. Uh, I think it was a protest um, here in Toronto. Uh, you know, BlogTO posted a video about it. Uh, you know, people raising their hands saying, "Don't shoot! Don't shoot!" Um, uh, and I left a comment citing FBI statistics because um, it seemed like a one-sided narrative to me mm-hmm. that had nothing to do with reality. And um, it, it turns out um, a stranger on the internet did not, <laughs> did not like my comment. <laughs> internet she uh, researched me. She found out who I am. Oh, she hunted what, you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she found me on LinkedIn, and she found out where I was volunteering at the time. Um, contacted um, both organizations, uh, uh, citing... Um, my unacceptable bigoted views uh, and you know uh, how dare you uh, employ bigots um, uh, as volunteers anyway um, so the hub um, 
got rid of me right away. Right, but they bought it, which is the craziest thing. Too. Yeah, they were like, like, like a complete stranger on the internet wrote them and said, "I'm offended, so get rid of this person." Um, and uh, yeah, the 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 hub um, got rid of me right away, uh, citing. Uh, uh, some kind of violation of their diversity, equity, and inclusion policy, uh, without specifying. Mm, of course. Uh, like how how did I violate it? You know. Yeah. Like what uh, what 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 is exactly yeah. what part of it? Yeah. Was the violation in the policy, mm-hmm. and how did anything I did like did yeah. how did that actually violate this policy and. It seems that a lot of the stories that we're hearing with these types of things is that yeah. those are never provided. Or the, if they mm-hmm. are provided at all, they're often so vague that it can't possibly make sense. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I was like, okay. Uh, you know, it was a volunteer position. Um, I was volunteering my time. Mm-hmm. Um, if you guys don't want me, that's your problem. Um Futurepreneur took a slightly different approach. They uh, hopped on a call with me to discuss my comments. Mm. Um, Basically, they were not able to articulate what is it that I said or did that was wrong. Mm -hmm. The point of the conversation was you are a representative of futurepreneur, which in my opinion is total BS because I was expect, uh, expressing a personal opinion on mm-hmm. social media. But to them, I was, you know, representing futurepreneur. Um, mm-hmm. And essentially they told me to uh, shut up. <laughs> they told me to uh, be mindful next time you express your views on social media. Um of course, I didn't promise anything because I think it's unacceptable that mm-hmm. you police people's views and, uh, you know, this sense of entitlement that, oh, you are representing us. No, I don't. In every facet In every, of yeah. your breathing, yeah. waking life. Yeah, exactly. Anything you think or utter yeah. is a representation of your connection mm-hmm. to your work or place you're volunteering or or what have you. Yeah. And it's so bizarre because you know how we run through, you know, scenarios through our head and stuff. I think about that, that, you know, because of some of the things I share, if, if something like this were to happen to me and my work were to try to talk to me about it, discipline me for it or let me go for it. Luckily I'm unionized where I work. And so I know I, I can't actually even be talked to about anything or disciplined about anything unless I, if I choose to have a union rep present so that there's somebody there so it's not just my word against the management or the company. And like my two direct managers are really cool. They really like me. I really like them. But if something were to happen where someone were to find out where I work and make a complaint and they were to talk to me about it, just like you're saying, like I, when I run through this possible scenario happening in my head, it makes me incredibly angry, first of all, and incredibly frustrated that this is happening in general, but it's also happening to so many people. And there's so many stories of, of this kind of thing happening and people being fired from their work 
and it's it's tragic really especially in cases where it's like you know it could be one comment that some stranger or you know even if it's someone you work with or someone you know if they didn't like it and then they're able to somehow get you fired from your workplace you might have kids even if you don't you suddenly don't have an income to live and feed yourself like and and these people think that that's in any way shape or form a reasonable or appropriate response to some opinion whether it's political or not something you decided to say or share publicly online that that is justifiable grounds to remove you from your place of employment especially when it's like you know it's outside of work you're not on you know you're not on the clock you're not you're not engaging in any capacity in any like environment that is actually related to your workplace at all or your duties at all and that that's a possibility that could happen when i think about any possibility of that happening to me it just gets me so upset and angry so like quickly that in my mind i'm like if if anyone tries to pull that shit on me i'm gonna be immediately like first of all i'm gonna get a union rep so that they're here and i'm gonna tell you straight up if you think that you have any right whatsoever to take something that I said on Facebook or Instagram or anywhere or in person that I didn't say to anyone I work with, I'm not even friends with anybody on social media that I work with partially for this reason. Cause I'm just like, just don't, don't mix it. But also just being like, if you believe you have any right legally or otherwise, to even talk to me about this, which is ridiculous, let alone discipline me for it, or if you think you're gonna let me go because of it, then I'm gonna sue your company. There's plenty of lawyers that will take these cases on pro bono on the grounds that you don't pay anything unless you unless you win, because a lot of people would be like, oh yeah, we're gonna win this. Um, and I just, I just would fight it so like, so intensely because it's like that's one of the things that our society is lacking and and like for people to have the courage to stand up and speak up against some of these narratives that are going on that aren't borne out they're not supported by facts and then the the cowardice of the employers of the managers and the companies themselves whoever's making those types of decisions is it's it's unconscionable or unconscionable is that how you say that i think so yeah (laughs) (laughs) but go on okay so this happened it gets better gets better so so, so get this so the um, i forgot to mention that that individual uh recruited I don't even know whether she was her friend or not. She recruited um, another person who was a uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant to contact Futurepreneur. Um, That was the person who initially contacted Mm -hmm. Futurepreneur. Um, She then contacted me on, this consultant contacted me on LinkedIn and... um, 
she was very sneaky about it. She she uh, said she was writing an article on futurepreneur. She wanted to ask me some questions. Oh gosh. And <laughs> then she started asking me questions about my um, article uh, that I ah uh, no no she no, no or, or did she want my comment on what I wrote on Instagram? Doesn't matter. She wanted to. Um, engage in a smear campaign mm -hmm. paint uh, you as a villain yeah paint me as this bigot who volunteers for futurepreneur and um i refuse to answer any questions unrelated to futurepreneur um she was probably like damn <laughs> didn't work um and uh so when futurepreneur initially decided to do nothing right after having that phone conversation with me um that's when the or that individual, the original one, that girl who complained to yeah. uh, UTSC about me, uh, she got really mad. She was like, "How is you it didn't that fire you him? didn't fire him? Because I complained." Are you serious? <laughs> He's still volunteering for you. So she got mad and she started writing um, an article on Medium about this bigoted person who volunteers for uh, Futurepreneur and the sole audience the sole recipient of that that message was the ceo of futurepreneur the woman who runs uh, futurepreneur um but i'm not sure if that article got to her because uh, they caught wind of the medium article that i wrote about about um uh, police in america and uh, that other consultant probably forwarded to them. So like, see, see, now you should definitely fire him because he just expressed unacceptable views on Medium. Um, so that's when they uh, um, emailed me and they said, well, in light of this article that you wrote on Medium, you are pretty much now definitely fired uh, <laughs> uh, because you clearly violated um, our diversity. The, yeah, the, the, yeah. Um, how? They didn't specify. Of course. Of course. Um, so that was, in many ways, an eye-opening experience for me um, as an entrepreneur, uh, an immigrant, uh, entrepreneur is so part of my identity now, so I use it everywhere, mm. as an immigrant, because I come from a country where there is no freedom of speech. Mm -hmm. Where nowadays people go to jail for a tweet or a comment on Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, so this was in many ways personal for me. Because I don't want Canada to be like Russia. I don't want people to be prosecuted for their thought crimes. Uh, thought crimes, yeah. Mm. It seemed very odd. Um, I, I, you know, I... Uh, suddenly had more free time uh, because I was no longer uh, coaching futurepreneurs, um, entrepreneurs. Um, and at the time, I was coaching two brilliant female entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And I hope they, you know, um, grow their businesses and become successful, um, you know, because they're smart and driven. And I really enjoyed coaching mm -hmm. them. Um, but, you know, it's their loss. If they want to uh, enforce these silly policies because someone on the internet got offended, 
um, you know, it's their choice. It's their choice. Um, if these people believe in what they're doing, if they think that this is the righteous thing to do, um, then I don't want to be part of that organization mm -hmm. because I don't share those values. You know, I think if you are offended, if you disagree with someone, then engage in a dialogue. You know, it, like if you're offended, like who cares? Screw this. No, nobody cares. But if you think I am incorrect, if I'm presenting an argument that is not based in facts, that is completely ridiculous, then explain to me how is it that I'm wrong. Prove me wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm the kind of person who I would like to think that I have an open mind. And if I'm wrong, then if you can persuade me um, that this other point of view is correct, and this is the truth and not what you believe in, um, I'm open to changing my mind. I'm not set in my ways. And I think that's, it's a dangerous pitfall uh, that a lot of people end up in, is when they, when their views calcify. Mm -hmm. And they become so convinced that what they believe is correct, and they fail to see that there are other perspectives and other, you know, valid perspectives. A lot of times, two different perspectives can be correct. Mm -hmm. That's like people don't seem to understand that 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 actually is the way that the world is in yeah. many many respects. That often two very contradictory things that seem like they you know shouldn't be able to exist at the same time and both be correct and maybe not wholly correct but it's like everything always has some truth mm. and it's where the you know the gray area is where the nuance is where you know where is like you know if it's everything tends to get positioned as being on one side or the other, but it's usually that, well, there's actually truths on both sides and there are things that are misunderstood or misrepresented on both sides, particularly by the other side, but that that's the complexity of the world. But when people get, you know, self-righteous about their beliefs, and they get ideological and they get tribal and they get into this black and white way of thinking it's it's incredibly dangerous and people don't have any real conception of coming from a society like you like you shared with me the trigonometry podcast which i recently told you i really appreciated because you know one of the hosts is also russian born and then he grew up for you know the first I think like 12 years or something like that of his life in Russia and then he he immigrated to the UK where he's been for the last 20 years or so and you know you listen to accounts of people who actually know from experience what it's like to grow up in an authoritarian totalitarian society where you don't have the freedom to express your views you don't have freedom of speech you 
you know, we, we think that the treatment of citizens, whether whatever their race is, is bad now. Wait until you, you know, devolve our society and the social norms and the institutions in our society, which we are seeing eroded at alarming rates. Like, wait until, like, that's the society that we actually live in. And it's like you hear, like you're saying, like Constantin says, and so many people, like Dr. Gad said, he's a Lebanese Jew who grew up in Lebanon as a Jew. So the people in the Middle East who hate Jews, like that is like a violent, unstable society that he escaped from and then became an evolutionary psychologist. And he knows and he talks about how when you play the identity politics game and you start pitting citizens against each other into ideological groups or camps or tribes then we either and i i just wrote about this on on a story i posted the other day it's like we either figure out how to have dialogue and debate and finding common ground rather than like fighting each other and straw manning the easiest you know parts from the other side's argument so to speak to to attack and make them look like ridiculous evil people which is happening on both sides of the spectrum then it, you know if we don't figure out how to have those debates even if they're, you know, people intensely disagreeing with each other, it's like we fi figure out how to do that now while we still can, or we march further and further towards a more unstable and a more tribal society that is much more likely to much more easily erupt into real violence. You know, this whole idea about words are violence and speech is violence and stuff it's like speech can be used to incite violence for sure that's why hate speech is illegal but speech itself isn't violence particularly simply because it you know challenges your beliefs and the things that you think and yeah we're just like we're in a, a really dangerous place and here i'm just gonna Okay, so recording again. But yeah, so continue on though, you know, it's like this is this is the the situation that we're finding ourselves in increasingly. We are putting feelings of infantile individuals up on a pedestal. Mm -hmm. We're not engaged in a dialogue we're in this game of protecting people's feelings mm -hmm. and this is mm, detrimental to our democracy this is detrimental to a shared sense of identity because when i think of identity i think of me as a citizen right um for example, what does it mean to be a Canadian citizen? Well, to me, it means sharing certain values that you believe in 
in, in a lot of cases, that's the reason why immigrants come to this country mm-hmm. because they share those values and they want to live in a country that practices those values. Why? Because they don't have those values in the societies that they're coming from. Precisely. That's why they're fleeing. Precisely. Precisely. You know, they're fleeing ideological persecution and violence, real violence, mm-hmm. not you know mm-hmm. sticks and stones violence. But identitarians. That's what I call them. They they want to split us into subjective identity-based groups, right? With terminology like cisgendered white males and all that stuff. It, Holla! It, uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is not helpful, like, at all, at all, to... Um, a goal uh, of creating a healthy society because what's like what's the if you think about it like why are we here what are we doing like what's the point of everything that we're doing in in my subjective opinion the point is to um, create a it's all for he- likes man it's all for, <laughs> it's all for the likes <laughs> you clearly don't get it <laughs> um Subscribers is where it's at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, shit, <laughs> shit. That's where the likes come from. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I could be wrong, of course, but I would imagine that we're doing what we're doing in order to create a healthy and prosperous society where uh, as many of us can not just be successful, but have our basic needs covered. Uh, we, we, you know, shouldn't have to worry about how to put food on the table. We have the technology to do, to do these things. We have the intellect, collective intellect, to achieve all those things. Um, and, and yet we are mired in identity politics and uh, misgendering people and things that do not take us forward as a society. Um, We need to be focused on um, system level change Mm -hmm. and how do we achieve change? Because it's incredibly difficult given the entrenched business interests and the way our society operates. Um, Is it possible? Is it doable? Yes, but it's very difficult and challenging. And the, the, the more we continue being mired in these conversations about identity and, and um, you know, uh, what is a man, what is a woman, um, we're, we're not going to move forward, in my subjective opinion. You know, I, I'm all for respecting every single human being because... Um, I happen to subscribe to this notion, this theory, that we're all one, mm-hmm. essentially. We're all mm-hmm. one. We're all manifestations of source energy, source consciousness, yeah, whatever experiencing you want to call it. itself. The universe, right? God. People like to use different names or they're comfortable with you know, yeah. using only certain names. But it's That's know. why I see every other human being as equal to me, mm-hmm. regardless of their wealth and uh, uh, any other factors. Every single individual, in my opinion, is equal to me. I was raised to 
treat you know the janitor and the CEO of the company exactly the same mm-hmm. right um, and now uh, having mm, undergone certain transformational experiences I'm able to mm-hmm. put it into words and 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 better articulate things because I've experienced those things um, so I definitely and firmly believe that we we're all one mm-hmm. we're all we, 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 we pretend that we're all separate right because we have uh, physical bodies and we perceive each other as uh, uh, you know separate individuals but at the end of the day um, we're one we will realize it because a lot of us are at different levels of consciousness but eventually we will realize it we, we as a collective society will come to this realization um, the sooner the better hopefully the sooner the better we hope so if we don't it, fucking it, blow ourselves up which could happen any time now um, I guess like something I want to talk about kind of like coming to wrap the conversation up a little bit is it, it seems like anybody who might listen to this episode who is already more aligned with our way of thinking that we we clearly we agree on a lot of stuff um it, it may seem like this conversation is you know just an echo chamber of us you know kind of self-flatulation that we're just i, I agree with you you agree with me good like we're on the right side of history and i guess like just like you're saying it's like we're all one and a lot of people talk about how you know this divide and conquer way of ruling people has been around forever and the idea that you know the media is used by a tool of the elite you know however conspiratorial you want to get we could maybe another conversation go deeper down that rabbit hole but the idea that it's like we're we're being pitted against each other because if we're fighting each other then we're not unifying and then we are not looking at the real problems going on in society and the real perpetrators when you know most of the quote unquote sides of these contentious issues in our society in these debates that are going on everyone thinks that they're on the right side and the people who disagree with them that are on the so-called other side are the ones that are on the wrong side of history and i guess what what do you think or or how would you respond to like the need to be able to strongman the other side's kind of stance that they have or how do we how do we like try to understand each other how do we try to communicate in better ways that aren't so incendiary toward one one another how do we recognize that actually so many of the things that everybody wants are the same but we think that the the problems are due to different things and the 
ways about going finding solutions to the things that we all ultimately want like safe stable just societies it's like how do we how do we be better at communicating with the people in our lives that might disagree with us i'll start with the word sandwich (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) so i found it fascinating that uh, in the corporate world they use the sandwich methodology to provide feedback to people uh, because it was kind of new to me Mm -hmm. Uh, because in my subjective opinion if you don't like something if i did something wrong then tell me look andre this is what you did wrong this Mm -hmm. is like not cool you know, do it differently. Or like, this was really stupid, like, cut it out, don't do it again, this is how you do it. Mm-hmm. But no, here, because we care about people's well, people feelings. People respond well to that, mm-hmm. though, right? That's so you gotta I, say something I've nice. <laughs> it's true, you gotta say something nice. Oh, well, you did something right here, but here, you know, we need to work on this here. Or it's like, right? always uh, give two positive feedback right? before you give a criticism. Exactly, then you finish off with, oh yeah, and then you did something really nice here, you know, good job. But don't forget what I said, you know, in the middle, you know. <laughs> right, right, right. So okay, so it's positive, <laughs> critical, or constructive feedback, positive. <laughs> the point is that when you disagree with someone, I think it's important to um, find or establish common ground. Okay. So mm-hmm. let's say, um, and I, I use it a lot, um, unfortunately, on Facebook when I comment on people's articles. I'm not supposed to because you, you can't change people's minds. No, but it's, it's such a it's, waste it's, of time. It is, it is. And my wife tells me the same. But, you know. Uh, I did that for <laughs> years. Oh, I wrote like really oh, long yeah, comments. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, got, <laughs> I, I first got interested in politics and social issues uh, after the global financial collapse. Yeah, yeah. And that was sort of my real political awakening and that was when i was in my early 20s and i i was you know awake before woke was Mm -hmm. a thing and i was trying to you know wake other people up to the problems that were going on in our society and in our world and the injustice and the corruption and the yeah the the political debates on facebook it's like i i find that this is what happens online in general. It's what's happening in a, I, I feel like at least on Facebook, commenting on Facebook tended to be, especially, you know, 15, 10, 15 years ago, a place where you could actually at least attempt to have much more of a dialogue than the world we live in now where attention spans are much worse. I, you know, see that for myself, for pretty much everybody, <laughs> like, can can relate to that and you know the 24-hour story and the you know like Instagram's not a place to have conversations like at all and but even even when on on Facebook when it was a bit more geared for that it's like we just we we say our points we lay them out as if it's an Oxford debate try to be really critical really rational really logical back it up with proof with facts with articles with citations where our opinions are coming from that they're not our opinions these are actually based on you know this renowned expert in this topic and whatnot and then people will just 
disregard every single thing you said, even though you just picked apart their argument piece by piece with proof, and then they'll just say the exact same thing again. Like, it's just like in one ear and right out the other. And now in the environment that we're in, it's like, it's happening in a much more shallow and volatile way, essentially, mm-hmm. right? Um, it is true. Unfortunately, it's true. So my um, my philosophy is that if you um, confront somebody and say, "Oh, you're like you're stupid. You're wrong. Like it's just it's, uh, like you're clearly false. You know, here is how things actually are, and here are the stats." Blah blah blah. They will shut down. Mm-hmm. They will completely shut down. They will not engage with you. They will not be receptive mm-hmm. to your message. And so, at the end of the day, you're not going to change their mind. No. So the way um, that I would approach it is you need to establish some kind of common ground. So what does that mean? Um, You would say, look, I understand where you're coming from, and I agree with you when it comes to A and B. But I think when it comes to X and Y, um, I think you're incorrect because... The data says, you know, uh, what, you know, ABC, or or um, the, there are multiple studies that prove that, you know, blah blah blah. That way, the individual feel valued, right? They will understand that you value their opinions, you value them as a, as a person, and um, your goal is not to engage in a cheap ad hominem Mm -hmm. but to try to change their mind and if they are open to changing their mind on whatever topic um, well maybe you'll be lucky but it's incredibly difficult in the current climate because that's not how humans communicate that's Mm -hmm. not how we talk to each other a lot of times we just we smear the other... People are uh, just trying to destroy each other yeah. these days. Like It's like yeah. people don't actually want to engage in dialogue to listen or learn or understand. They're just trying to find ways to pick apart that person with a straw man, you know, making their argument ridiculous in the easiest way they can and then tearing that down instead of actually trying to engage with the substance of of what they're actually actually putting forth or attacking them personally mm-hmm. with an ad hominem. And it's unfortunate because like I get wrapped up into this myself, you know, it's, it's, it happens to the best of us. And I find myself too, it's, it's really challenging with the environment we find ourselves in because there's so many issues. There's so many crises. It's so contentious that I think the whole the whole world is going absolutely fucking insane, like in in a lot of respects. And so I find it, it to be incredibly hard to not get emotionally hijacked. And even you know this past week, it's happened to me a couple times where I've got into political disagreements with my brother. It happened with a few days ago, and I actually I just got totally emotionally hijacked, and I was actually a fucking asshole to him and it was like I was I was belittling him because it's like well I know how interested I am in these things and how much 
time and effort I put into listening to world-renowned experts on X, Y, and Z topic. And then when we're talking about these topics, it's like he might have heard a tiny little snippet on the news, if anything, and then, and then he's engaging with me as if this is a simple difference of opinion. And I know that, you know, outside of work and raising a family and, you know, he still likes to play video games and um, watch and play sports. And that's great. Like, I'm, I'm happy for him that he's living his life in a way that, that uh, he, he's doing well. I'm really happy for him about that. But then when we get into, like, this political disagreement where I'm like, what you're saying is wrong and I know that you don't actively take an interest in these things and I do and what I'm saying is correct because it's based on the opinions of the actual experts and and it, it led to me really kind of being an asshole to him and belittling him and he was like he was so upset with me and I ended up like luckily for me I'm I I I am able to, once I'm out of that space of being emotionally hijacked and being a fucking asshole and reacting from emotion rather than responding in a more appropriate way, I am able to have the humility to go, ah, fuck, I was wrong. I have to say sorry. It's the right thing to do. I have to actually own up to where where I made a mistake or where I acted in a way that ultimately isn't aligned with my values or isn't aligned with my own goals, you know, of how do we actually like talk to each other? How do we actually find common ground? How do we actually figure out what objectives we have in common that we want to actually solve problems and then go about doing that instead of just trying to destroy the other person and be right? And stuff like that. I right? think we forget a lot of times that people come from different places. People come from different uh, points of view because they gather information from different places. Mm-hmm. We a lot of times assume that because I think a certain way, right, the other individual probably thinks the same. We assume that they have... One of the biggest mistakes humans make is assuming that other people think like you do. Because you assume they have access to the same information, to Mm. the same sources. They have the same critical thinking capacity. Uh, They probably, you know, you think they share your views or your values, which they might not. We make all of these assumptions and then we get surprised when people disagree or have a different opinion. So... One way to um, understand the other person is to first start off with what's the common ground? Mm -hmm. Is there anything that we agree on? Like anything. Doesn't matter how tiny it is. Once you establish that common ground, you can start exploring. You can start asking questions. So why is it that you think this way? What led you to believe Mm -hmm. whatever you believe in? What is it based on, right? And then you can try to find common ground by uh, trying to understand the validity of the different sources, Mm -hmm. right? 
um, which seems to be next to impossible these days. Oh, it's you know, which is which <laughs> it, is like it's, it's nice it's, in theory. Like that sounds great if it, if only it were remotely possible. Which well, I, is, I'm finding to be one of the hardest things the past few years. It's like no matter what the issue is, it seems like and and I I have always made a point of really honestly trying to seek out information to prove or disprove my beliefs or what I think about an issue, especially when they're so clearly contentious and clearly like people on different sides and fighting to try to understand, okay, what's actually going on here and where's the evidence to prove it one way or the other so that I know that my beliefs are based on like a, a really honest attempt to actually understand the landscape of the issue, where both sides are coming from, the evidence that they're basing their opinions and their beliefs on, and the arguments that they're making. And I found when it was when it was about things like, you know, the safety of vaccines and anti-vax and autism and climate change and the doubt sowed by the you know oil companies and the PR you know companies sowing doubt in the public and on the science and stuff I felt like years ago I was I was able to sort of investigate those issues and actually parse out that there was actually a scientific basis for believing one way or the other essentially and then the last few years has seemed like and there there is evidence that we really are embedded in a information war right now you know it's like people people have no idea really i think generally speaking we we didn't get taught much about how the real world really works People don't know much about history of the world. They don't know much about other societies that they didn't grow up in, particularly more truly authoritarian societies like Russia and so many so many other places. And oh, I lost it again. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I used to smoke a lot of weed. I, I haven't been uh, recently. I've been doing sober October, but uh, my mind slips me a few sometimes. That's okay. But um, I don't know. I just I think there. It, it used to be easier to actually try to do your own research and have sources of information that were trustworthy to more people rather than the different camps on each side of any issue feeling like they have legitimate trustworthy scientific evidence and experts on their side that prove their side and then just disregarding what the other side says and what i was actually saying was that like we we are in a war we're in a war we're in an ideological war and an information war and people don't understand about the the history of wars what happens during wars and the fact that like we're not in a kinetic war where people are boots on the ground tanks on the ground we're not you know there is one happening that we are 
seemingly more and more likely to get pulled into and it truly turning into like a World War Three scenario, which it ultimately it is. It's a it's a proxy World War Three right now. But when that's when that's taking place, it's like information wars are going on all the time. People are constantly trying to do cyber warfare. They're trying, you know, it's like China and Russia are sowing seeds of doubt. And this is at like the level of, you know, the the intelligence agencies like, you know, the the CIA and the FBI and in Canada, CSIS and and stuff like the the equivalent institutions in places like China and Russia and certain countries in the Middle East they they are engaged in warfare that isn't shooting bullets at each other it's shooting disinformation misinformation trying to hack into and ruin our energy infrastructure our banks our companies all sorts of stuff and that's been going on forever but over the past two two and a half years we have seen the sort of fruits of that type of of um, activity playing out in our society at a greater and greater scale and it's yeah it's just I don't uh, think we need the Russians and the Chinese to misinform us when uh, the media is already controlled by a handful of corporations Mm -hmm. and their goal is not to inform the populace their goal is to control the populace Um, what we're starting to see is that um, the as we are transitioning into a higher state of consciousness um, and I realize some people don't subscribe to this idea it's all woo woo well, uh, even, even just that terminology it's like we are clearly and it's, it's uh, something that would be I think argued against less to say that more and more people are you know, waking up, so to speak, they're becoming more aware of that the world isn't this corporate fantasy that we grew up in where everything's just normal and safe and modern and we're, we're smarter and we're better. We're, we're, we're not subject to the same types of psychological issues that humanity has dealt with forever with the types of people who are in control of institutions and power it's like it's like we we have the freedom to do whatever we want whenever we want and not give a fuck about anything that has to do with the real world because we've been insulated in this fantasy world and you know even before the uh, the war in Russia and Ukraine started I, I listened to the the monk debates podcast every week. It's called Friday Focus, and Rudyard, who's the uh, the executive director of the monk debates and the podcast and the dialogues, has a thirty to forty minute dialogue with Janice Gross Stein, who's the founding director of the Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy, and they talk about one or two things in the news, the biggest issues in the week, which is these days they're like we have too many there's there's way too many things to talk about like we're just being constantly bombarded with these like really existential things going on in the world and it's just everything is so complex and it's so polarized and it's honestly it's terrifying 
but that's part of the reason I listen to that kind of stuff is that I'm like I'm trying to like understand like what is the actual world that we're living in and like what are we gonna what are we gonna do about it how do we like prepare how do we actually speak to each other and try to fix these issues and stuff and one of the things they said when the global financial collapse happened it's like or not the global financial collapse sorry the uh when the russia ukraine war happened they were like the the past 30 years was the exception to the rule and the rule of constant wars in europe and the world wars that happened and the just constant wars throughout history it's like the last 30 years was an exceptionally peaceful and prosperous time where the um what do they call it like the the great power politics in the world were sort of on pause the last 30 years because the end of the ussr the end of the cold war it seemed like the west and capitalism really won out against the east and communism against russia now russia and china and so russia was so um sort of like chopped down after that and china was just kind of on the rise the last 30 years the last 15 to 20 in particular and that it's like the world that we lived in for the last 30 years is gone it doesn't exist anymore we're back to the world of great power politics and more open destabilization and it's like this is what we're dealing with now this is why i want to like have conversations like this and listen to the things i'm listening to because i'm like i feel like i I find it to be super interesting because i've been saying for so many years that like the things that are going on in the real world are infinitely more interesting than the shows we watch and the stories we tell and the movies and the books we read and the Game of Thrones and the espionage films and all this shit. But people love that stuff because it really is based on the true history of like our species and the insanity that we engage in. And I'm like, the the real world and what's going on is infinitely more interesting than that stuff but I feel like people people haven't paid attention to it, certainly not en masse, because it's like it's been too slow. It, it's been boring, essentially, and too slow. But the last couple of years, it's been accelerating. It's been getting more in your face. And so to kind of go back to what you were saying, it's like it's not, you know, if people don't like that idea or the phrasing, framing of that, like, we're moving into a higher level of consciousness it's like we are moving into a greater awareness that we have to deal with the reality of the problems that we're faced with with of which there are many they are very serious they're incredibly dangerous and if we don't figure out ways to engage with each other in respectful dialogue even if it gets heated and even if it gets intensely um, like contentious and and we disagree with one another it's like if we can't like learn to do that with each other with the people we disagree with then yeah like 
just like the destabilized countries in the Middle East and Africa and elsewhere that we see true civil war and constant violence and no stability in their politics with their civil infrastructure less corruption less overt corruption all that kind of stuff it's like we're we're fucked <laughs> bring, I'm slightly bring more up. i'm slightly more optimistic <laughs> bring us back up i'm slightly more optimistic because i do happen to subscribe to the idea that we are moving from uh what i call 3d consciousness to 5d consciousness mm-hmm. But it's important to understand it does not automatically imply that it's going to be, you know, rainbows and unicorns all of a sudden. Yeah, it's not. There's never going to be a utopia. Um, Well, let's see if we can achieve. uh, How close can we get? Yeah, yeah. Because it's it's like um, any of the problems we do solve, you know, the history of the world is that we always create new problems with with everything we solve. But yeah, we we certainly, if not a utopia, um, we could get into a much, much better place than we currently find ourselves in. Most definitely. And um, it will most likely require... um, a different approach. Right now, we're engaged in incremental changes in our society. Um, I happen to believe that we will require system-level change at some point when it comes to how we are governed, when it comes to the education system, um, uh, finances, money, jobs, like all of those things, all of those things. it is difficult to imagine um, a different world because mm-hmm. right now we have so many different problems. Like, we, like if you look at the world at the moment, like we're—I'm—I'm I'm not sure if we're on the brink of World War Three. We are—it's uh, definitely very concerning um, how this situation in Ukraine can escalate. Um, depending on um, China's actions, our neighbors to the south, the EU, and NATO. There's a lot of moving parts Mm -hmm. at the moment. Um, I do not think we're going to get to uh, any sort of nuclear war. Um, I hope not. (laughs) I I don't think so. Um, Even though it is true that there are hawks in Moscow, just like there are hawks at the Pentagon in the United States, and um, maybe within the Biden administration, uh, who believe that uh, Putin's approach is not sufficient enough. He's being soft. So those individuals, Mm -hmm. they are hardliners, and if they were to come to power, um, they would um, escalate this war. so it remains to be seen how things will play out in Ukraine um, and whether it will truly morph into World War III. I think one of the possibilities where it can get to that level is, uh, not sure if I want to say if or when at this point, um, probably when China attacks Taiwan. Uh, Right, because the United States have expressed a clear intent mm-hmm. to protect Taiwan, mm-hmm. supply Taiwan with weapons. 
Um, yeah, they've uh, called it like making them a, a porcupine in the region with the new weapons mm-hmm. that they're sending them, and well, and the Biden administration just collapsed the Chinese computer chip industry. It would definitely have a significant ripple effect around the world mm-hmm. um, because Taiwan is a leading manufacturer of microchips, mm-hmm. and those go- those things are used everywhere in cars and weapons like everywhere everything 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 that's why the u.s just like sanctioned mm-hmm. china and they basically made they, they just collapsed their entire industry to make it so that they're like we will not let you become the leaders in ai and quantum computing and stuff because whoever ends up leading that is gonna have a much better chance of being you know the the world top world power for the next potentially 100 years if we don't blow ourselves up, but yeah, China considers Taiwan its territory. Oh yeah, and they will protect it mm-hmm. through whatever means possible. And what that means is we're likely to see uh, a hot war between China and the United States. It's not going to be a proxy war in Taiwan. If China were to invade Taiwan, the the Americans will protect Taiwan and and. Um, and if that happens, that's that's going to have a serious impact on commerce, um, food security. Uh, it's going to have a massive ripple effect around the world. Mm-hmm. World currencies will be impacted. Uh, it's the, like the the impact is going to be significant. In some ways, unpredictable. Uh, in some ways, predictable. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm. I'm hopeful that we don't get to that point. Yeah, well, uh, a lot of like people are talking about that. That's like most likely to happen if the war with Russia first escalates into a hot war between the U.S. and NATO and Russia, rather than a proxy war. Then there will be this cascade of, okay, well, the U.S. can't fight two great powers at the same time. So mm-hmm. now might be the time to take back Taiwan, potentially some other smaller regions or. Uh, island kind of like regions and that the the threat that we're under right now if this escalates is that a whole bunch of other regions in the world that are are currently more stable because of the way the world has been will see that as an opportunity to then go do what Russia essentially did is you know be opportunistic and and just go and take what they want, which is sort of the history of the world, right? Um, Yeah. It's definitely possible, but at the same time, um, uh, I think the conflict in Ukraine can be contained. Mm -hmm. Um, Putin is not Stalin. He has, uh, you know, his plan does not include taking over Germany and Spain and the rest of Europe. Yeah. Uh, to establish uh, a Soviet Union 2.0. That's just not going to happen. Um, NATO will stop Russian troops if that were to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't see that conflict spilling over. Um, it's just going to drag into 2023, possibly 2024, and... Um, a lot of uh, uh, Russian soldiers will die, unfortunately. Uh, that that's it's pretty clear, as it is. 
Um, uh, so maybe uh, caskets with bodies will change people's minds in Russia. I, I, I don't know. Um, but it is an inevitability uh, that more people will die on the Russian side and on the Ukrainian side as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I forget what the stats are, but one of the conversations I heard recently talking about the death stats of like World War Two were that, you know, it, it might have been like a few hundred thousand or like a, a few million soldiers kind of on the American and the West side died, but just like an exponentially higher number of, of Russian mostly like you know call them soldiers but mostly really they're just civilians and I forget what the type of they called it like a, a type of war like there's a name for it where essentially they're just throwing bodies mm-hmm. at a line essentially yeah. that they're protecting and due to mismanagement due to um, NKBD's strategy uh, of shooting any Russian or Soviet sol- soldier uh, who uh, wanted to retreat. You could not retreat. You'd be shot by the NKVD who are right behind you. Um, and unfortunately, um, it's being practiced today in Ukraine. Um, uh, some individuals uh, reported, you know, uh, that they're... they're um, fellow soldiers were shot in the back when they tried to retreat. Um, so this this tactic uh, is being used in 2022, unfortunately. But it was used heavily during World War II by the mm-hmm. NKVD. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we really took a fucking... Took a deep dive into the fucking Russian-Ukraine conflict here. Um, yeah, I guess... We can just sort of like pin that. Um, that happens sometimes. I, I definitely, I, I do have a somewhat pessimistic view or, or a negative outlook. And I, I, I'm more prone to, like I've, I've struggled with depression and anxiety a lot in my life. And so my sort of baseline of my mood tends to be a little bit lower than I would like it to be. And that makes it... <clears throat> makes it a little bit more difficult to kind of see the the light at the end of the tunnel or the silver lining or those types of things. But I think something that I've been really present to throughout the last couple years as, as things continue to get crazier and crazier on so many different axes is that, you know, when I was in my early 20s, when the global financial collapse happened and part of why that was my political awakening in a large way then was because it was like you know the media across the world was screaming apocalypse and I was like I just had this this question that really sent me down the rabbit hole it sent me on this journey that well like who, who's in power who's making decisions how did we get here like isn't it many people's jobs specifically to make sure that these types of things don't happen and that question can really be used in today's environment as well because in the context of the global financial collapse it was like largely driven by the banks and the 
mismanagement of the debt that people had taken on with the housing bubble that collapsed that burst and led to the you know domino effect that put like put the entire world economy into jeopardy and unfortunately we didn't learn the lessons we needed to nobody who was really responsible for that happening really got in any trouble the banks got bailed out and so it's like the the people pay doubly <laughs> and and that's kind of the way that the world is set up in a lot of ways and now we find ourselves in in a situation where things are much worse they're much more complex with many more issues that are much more prominent and existential in their nature and back then when i was having these sort of oxford style debates with people on facebook and trying to wake people up so to speak there there was this deep desire to understand and try to contribute in some positive way to solving the problems that we're faced with but those problems weren't bad enough that people were much more easily able to go back into the fantasy world that we grew up in and something that I am optimistic about in sort of a counterintuitive way now is that things are so bad and they're so crazy and they're so fucked up on so many different levels and people people are waking up at a at a much greater um degree we are becoming much more aware that oh fuck like that world that we thought we grew up in actually like either wasn't the real world or it's not the real world anymore and so you know it's it's always great times of crisis that provide the best and like realist opportunity for actually solving some of the problems that we're faced with so there's a little bit of optimism in there somewhere <laughs> um we were born into a system of economic the matrix, servitude the, the matrix, matrix. um <laughs> We, once again, this is something I just happen to subscribe to. Maybe some people will say, you're nuts, you're crazy. But uh, we, we, we picked this reality, this lifetime. Uh, it was our decision. Hi. Do you have this room booked? Yeah. Okay, we'll be done in a minute. Okay. Uh, um, and so we were born into a system of economic servitude. Uh, but we picked this lifetime. And yes, you know, in the States, you've got Goldman Sachs, BlackRock, Vanguard, State Farm, who are really in control. It's not political leaders who are in control. It's corporations. Mm-hmm. Um, and corporate because corporations control resources and militaries it's like you know there are military leaders who are unelected who have been in their positions for years and years they don't have term limits and like this is a fact that Mm -hmm. presidents the president of the united states doesn't even get security clearance for certain things because everything's on a need-to-know basis and even the president 
doesn't need to know some things, right? The entire history of the United States is overthrowing regimes, <laughs> democratically yeah. elected, not democratically elected, doesn't matter, to protect the interests of the United States, which mm-hmm. is code word for the interests of corporations, American corporations. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's, that's the reality. What can we do? Well, I, I probably can't do much about, you know, uh, BlackRock and how much they control around the world. But what I can do is work on myself. Mm-hmm. And that's what we should be doing. Work on yourself and become the best version of you in this lifetime. Um, and it means different things to different people. Um, become good at something. Develop that skill that uh, you've always wanted to develop. Um, maybe meditate and do yoga if you um, uh, want to become more spiritual, more grounded. Um, especially if you're easily triggered by stuff, meditation will help you to not get easily triggered. Um, you know, just do whatever is necessary to become the best possible human being mm-hmm. in this lifetime. And then change starts from within. Don't try to change everybody around you. Mm-hmm. Change yourself first. And be an example that other people want to follow. Mm-hmm. It's a lot better, in my opinion, to be a leader who other people want to follow because of who you are than trying to convince others or, or tell them, hey, you should follow me because whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, it's, it's by the example that you said. And it's like, you know, Changing yourself is hard enough, and changing other people is actually impossible. Exactly, exactly. You know, read books, watch videos that will help you to become a better person. Maybe, you know, learn a new skill. Uh, you know, what, whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. Just focus on improving yourself and being a better version of yourself on Tuesday than you were on Monday. Mm-hmm. That's it, that's your only competition. Don't look at others doesn't matter how wealthy they are or um, it it doesn't matter because they have their own path and you have your own path because you came here for a reason you're not here by accident this is not an accident as much as some people would like to believe Mm -mm, no Mm -hmm. you're here for a reason and I think we're in a period of transition massive transition and we're going to see uh, massive change, system level change over the next 30 years mm-hmm. and 40 years. And we will say, oh, wow, things have really changed between, say, 2000 and 2060 in the next 40 years. Mm-hmm. So mark, yeah. mark my words. <laughs> <laughs> well, they certainly will be. They certainly will be. Well. Folks, we are recording in a study room in the library, and the next person has uh, let us know that he's got this room booked, so we're going to end there. I just want to say it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you. It's been really nice to meet you, and I'm really looking forward to you know, continued conversations, maybe have you on again Episode someday. two. <laughs> this, uh, <laughs> I've got two, two other uh, <laughs> episodes in the bank that i got to get my ass editing. But uh, no, it's been a great conversation, and yeah, we are we're in really, really challenging and really transformational times, and I'm I'm glad to 
you know, have people like you around to have conversations with and to help to, in some ways, you know, we, we get to, through conversation with one another, whether you agree or disagree with people, we get to correct our thinking and challenge our thinking and and it's all part of the, you know, becoming better human beings and I, I find one of the biggest challenges, the, the language that I use around the biggest challenge for, for me and that I see in our society is that we just need to grow up. We have, you know, like Gabor Mate talks about how there are a lot of children walking around in adult bodies and we, we see that with the environment that we find ourselves in and I'm trying to grow up and take care of myself better and take care of, uh, you know, my family and my relationships and the, the sphere of influence that I actually have influence over, um, but primarily myself and to take on more responsibility and yeah we're gonna have to just see see it's been an absolute pleasure thank you Dan. Unfold. thank you appreciate it cool man They want to split us into subjective identity-based groups, right? With terminology like cisgendered white males and all that stuff. It, Holla! It, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <pretty much. laughs> awesome, Thank man. You. Thank you. This was awesome. Yeah. Looking good. Oh yeah, fuck yeah.